Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rusciutti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In a free market economy, the role of government is often debated. On the one hand, business generally prefers to be left alone by government, interpreting the word free in free market as free of regulation. On the other hand, there are any number of business organizations whose principal functions are to extract as many regulatory and tax advantages as possible to their particular industry. In response to this lobbying, the Louisiana state government, like any good investor, does its best to diversify. The state has instituted economic development initiatives to attract and grow a wide range of businesses from film to aerospace. You might remember a few years ago, starting with the redevelopment period after Hurricane Katrina, there was a push to create what was called the New Orleans Biomedical District. Now that economic development has, as of today, reportedly created 34,000 new jobs and has had an economic impact of some $3.3 billion. The biomedical district includes the Veterans Administration Hospital, the University Medical Center, the Louisiana Cancer Research Center, and the New Orleans Bioinnovation Center. The New Orleans Bioinnovation Center provides office space, laboratories, business support, and even financial investment for biotech startups. They have a 66,000 square foot building on Canal Street that opened in 2011 and cost $47 million to build. This size investment in a build it and they will come strategy takes some serious financial skill to navigate. Similar state-funded bioinnovation initiatives in Baton Rouge and Shreveport have failed. To keep the New Orleans enterprise afloat in 2021, Chris Khalil uh, was named executive director of the New Orleans Bioinnovation Center. And today, Chris happens to be sitting across the lunch table from me. Chris Cahill, um, welcome down to lunch. Thank you for having me, Peter. In one best case scenario, the object of biomedical innovation is to come up with a medical device that becomes an everyday piece of equipment that sells in the millions. For example, the Fitbit and Apple Watch have turned the decidedly unsexy concept of a heart monitor into a fashion item. In the same way, eyeglasses are technically a medical device, but somehow Warby Parker and others have turned assisted vision into what is now a fashion accessory. What's next? Which otherwise pedestrian item that we use for medical assisted living could become hip and ubiquitous? With the growing number of people walking around with earbuds blasting sound directly into their ears, could the next medical fashion item become the hearing aid? If you'll excuse the pun, it might not be as crazy as it sounds. Federal legislation called Over-the-Counter Hearing Aid Act of 2017 finally went into effect in early 2021. This legislation allows hearing aids to be sold in stores or online without any consultation, prescription, or referral. As a result, some trend spotters are predicting a major growth in the hearing aid industry. Dina Zivi is president of the Louisiana Society of Hearing Aid Specialists and a board member and administrative secretary of the Louisiana Board of Hearing Aid Dealers. 
She's also a hearing aid instrument specialist and the owner of a hearing aid store on the West Bank called Hear Now. And yes, you guessed it, she's also sitting across the table from me. Adina Zivi, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me. Now, Chris, as I mentioned, apparently the state of Louisiana initially funded bio-innovation centers in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and Shreveport. The Baton Rouge and the Shreveport initiatives apparently both failed and now are closed. What did the New Orleans Bio-Innovation Center do differently that's kept it afloat? It's a great question, Peter. So I can't speak specifically to the, the perils of the Baton Rouge and Shreveport initiatives, but as you mentioned, the New Orleans Bio-Innovation Center is coming up on our 10-year anniversary and uh, our organization is stronger than ever. And I think that this is in particular in part due to our commitment from our partners, the Louisiana Economic Development Corporation, as well as Tulane University, LSU Health Sciences Center, Xavier University, and other universities here in New Orleans. One of the particular strengths of New Orleans is our research base. We have two medical schools. There's also a medical school in, on Oshner's campus as well. And there's a ton of research that has been historically deployed out of these institutions and commercialized. In 2005, uh, after Katrina, we had a lot of work to do to rebuild our commercialization base uh, and, and service those researchers and entrepreneurs building new technologies taking novel technologies, turning them into companies, and creating jobs. And so New Orleans post-Katrina has doubled and tripled down on these efforts as, and has taken a, a determined approach to supporting this innovation community, both in technology and in biotechnology as well. Well, it's working. Dina, until relatively recently, people didn't wear eyeglasses unless they really couldn't see without them because eyeglasses were regarded as unattractive. We know from the place of eyeglasses in fashion today, there is nothing implicitly unattractive about them at all. It seems like we're in a similar position today with hearing aids. Somebody who can't hear perfectly is no different from somebody who can't see perfectly. But there seems to be more hesitation about admitting that we need help hearing. Partly that's financial, hearing aids aren't cheap, but partly it's vanity. Since glasses have become a fashion item, it seems like a lot more people freely admit that they need help seeing clearly. If hearing aids were to become more socially acceptable, do you think the same would happen? Are there as many of us who can't hear clearly as can't see clearly? I certainly hope so. It's my goal to try and change the mindset of uh, hearing aids within the industry and, you know, with people trying to wear them and make them feel like this is something that is a necessary item for them to be able to communicate better. And if you have to have it, you may as well make it personalized with your own color or particular style. So when we look around and there's so many different types of earbuds and listening devices and sound enhancers, hearing aids should have that same trendy, stylish look and be accepted. And it serves a medical benefit as well. Chris, it's one thing to offer bio-innovation startup companies a nice office and laboratory, but one of the biggest stumbling blocks to bio-innovation that we've heard firsthand here on Out to Lunch over the years is access to capital, uh, along with companies who have figured it out and are managing to stay in New Orleans to get funded, like notably Abatala Science and Axosim. We've heard from people who have had to leave here because the environment for raising capital, they say, is just not the same as it is in other places. 
How does the New Orleans Bioinnovation Center attract companies that are dependent on significant front-end investment to come here and stay here? That's a very difficult question, and shout out and credit to both of those companies, Zobatala and Axosim, Trivia and Lowry, for being dedicated and committed to making it work here in New Orleans. And they're a part of uh, the drive, driving force here locally um, to build this biotechnology ecosystem and advanced life science technology ecosystem. It's very difficult to obtain risk capital for companies that have a high likelihood of failure, particularly in biotech, and these companies are very capital intense. So instead of a technology company needing a couple million to get up and running with the potential for exit in a few years, these biotech companies take several million um, and, and 10 to 15 years maybe to turn around and exit. So a, the culture has to be present in an innovation ecosystem, and that's part of what New Orleans Bioinnovation Center brings to the table, both in programming as well as funding. So you're familiar with friends and family rounds. Well, we don't call them friends and family rounds because people here don't have friends and family that have 10 million bucks uh, Actually, ready to park. You're, you're very nice. People call it <laughs> friends, family, and fools, right? Friends, family, and fools, right? Well, we're, we're, uh, we call ourselves credibility capital or belief capital at the bio fund, and we're typically the first check in a business, twenty-five dollars to $250,000. And we understand that this company may not be successful in, in the next two or three years um, in turning over our money into profit. But what we do understand is that they're going to be building novel technologies that improve health outcomes. They're going to be creating jobs. And if we're able to invest in 20, 30, or 50 of these companies, we know that a handful of them will be successful and will turn over that large amounts of capital and money that can help boost an ecosystem into the next level. Now, Dean, I'm going to get past hearing aids for just for this um, opening question. You were working for someone else, and then you got the chutzpah or whatever to open your, your own place. How difficult was that? Honestly, it was not as difficult as I expected. I think there's a fear of the unknown, but... There's a step-by-step process and procedure to start your own business. I didn't have to take out any loans, and uh, it was a very smooth and easy transition for me. And because I'd been in the industry for a couple of decades, or maybe a decade and a half before that, I'd already had a decent client base, so I didn't have any lag. So it worked out very well. And you have a... um a concentration that I thought was great when I was reading about you know, doing the research. Musicians. Yes, that's my passion. Tell me about that part. Hearing loss is going to happen, so we have to normalize hearing aids. One out of three over the age of 60 needs them, whether it's a financial issue or a vanity issue or just this odd antiquated mindset that they're old and it makes me look old. People are going to need hearing aids, but I would rather them not need them at the age of 40. I'd rather it be something later in life. And as much as we love our music and our sports and hunting and shooting and all of that, we are constantly putting ourselves in a position where we're uh, susceptible to loudness-induced hearing loss. So I don't want to call it noise-induced hearing right, loss, which right. is the common kind term when really, we're talking about music. So, And this is standing next to the speakers, right? This is Well, you have the people on stage, uh, and it's not necessarily the speakers, because hopefully, if it's done properly, they're facing the audience and not the band. Um, but even the other musicians they're playing next to sometimes can uh, be loud enough to potentially cause some harm. 
So if I can encourage everyone to come in and just get their regular annual evaluations once a year and then uh, wear hearing protection, it's the only unregulated industry that is so prevalent down here and we love our musicians and we love, you know, being able to go out and support them. But, you know, if you want to preserve the music, preserve the musicians in it. Yeah. So this is what I can do. And I'm doing my best to get them all to come in and get their hearing protection. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Dina Zivi. She's the president of the Louisiana Society of Hearing Aid Specialists and owner of the hearing aid store Here Now on the West Bank, and Chris Khalil. He's executive director of the New Orleans Bioinnovation Center. Now, Chris, it, we're very excited about how you've, your financial situation now and, the, and all of that. But in 2019, you guys were like circling the drain here. Um, what did you do? What did you do that you didn't end up as like Baton Rouge and Shreveport then? Understood, yes. Uh, the Bioinnovation Center went through uh, a cash flow crisis, frankly. And what we did was we understood what our potential was in order to generate revenue for our our nonprofit company and luckily we have a beautiful facility that held up very well during Ida mind you um, without loss of power and we decided to focus on filling the space so well, that's where I'm gonna evacuate to next that you okay. should uh, we'll, we'll be lucky to have you and uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a little Chris. bit of a party we'll hang out in the labs and uh, do some pipetting and probably some beer drinking as well but the Bioinnovation Center really had to focus because we have done so well in supporting companies and have generated such a, uh, a tangible economic impact here in New Orleans that um, the fact that the incubator was at risk was a, a major deal for uh, both the state, the city, and the federal government. Um, so what we did was we, we made sure that we could fill our space. We went and landed anchor tenants in Tulane University and the Louisiana Community yeah, can I, Technical can I ask College that, Chris, System. I don't mean to interrupt you, but where do you do people come to you? Do you go find the customers? How do you do it? Uh, both. So um, we, Tulane University are our partners, as is the state of Louisiana, and so they uh, committed themselves to ensuring that this, uh, this facility was a community facility and not one uh, just for one particular institution, but for all folks to come and rub elbows. You know, we call ourselves the, the neutral ground or for the national listeners here, the Switzerland of uh, <laughs> biotech incubators where rival institutions can come and learn from one another and more importantly, collaborate on projects. Projects. New Orleans isn't uh, um, an advanced enough city in this ecosystem yet, so all there's no um, sense of rivalry or uh, you know antagonistic relationships. Everybody's working together, and that includes you know LSU, uh, Health Sciences, Tulane University, Xavier, as well as Ochsner and LCMC and other health systems as well. You know, one of the things I hear is that it's tough once you get established. Um, people more willing to move into a city in that industry because if it doesn't work out at that company, they could go somewhere else. And that's kind of what Houston's become to oil and uh, healthcare's in Nashville, same kind of thing. So um, when you get a little, once you get some momentum, the, it should continue on. Here. And there have been a lot of signs of momentum in biotech in New Orleans over the last six months. And I think it's very exciting despite the challenges that we see uh, with weather events and obviously uh, the pandemic. But when a company fails here in New Orleans, their staff is now being absorbed into other companies that are being becoming successful, which is a, a sign of a positive growth in an ecosystem and a, and a great virtuous cycle emerging. Uh, furthermore, you know, after our seed fund has invested 
three, four, five times in a startup. Now we're seeing downstream investors such as Benson Capital Partners uh, pony up several million dollars for a company in New Orleans that um, typically we don't see institutional investors operating in, in the life science and biotech communities. So now we have institutional folks looking at our industry uh, taking on the Series A, and that was a missing component just 12 months ago. Nadina, I was wondering where you get your clients, and I started looking around, and you uh, you put on workshops. Is that kind of one of the drivers here, or you just open the doors and they, sh they show up? Okay, so personally, I have done a lot of community service work, and so I find that has been very successful for me. Obviously, the pandemic has created uh, a lot of roadblocks with that, but I had personally set up my business where I was going and servicing every month all the different senior centers in my local area. I would volunteer my time to go out into the community. So there are certainly workshops that can be done, but anything that you can do to reach out the community is always ideal. So I have not invested in the traditional forms of advertising, uh, but working throughout the community is what I enjoy doing, so it's never really felt like work. Besides for the senior centers, I've also gone out into the high schools to try and do informative lectures as well. So it served me well. I kind of think you're in the right place at the right time because the boomers are getting older. I think the oldest boomer is probably a little over 70 or something like that. So you're in this, this sounds a weird thing, but you're in a sweet spot. Well, I... I've always said I have job term. security. Okay. Right? I mean, this is just a standard, normal product that is going to be needed every year, all the time, as we get older. It's not unusual to lose your hearing. And so finances should never be a reason why someone does not get, you know, medical assistance. And with the push for Medicare covering it and with the FDA still trying to get there, regulations in place to make them over the counter. I think hopefully that we are going to see a new surgence of people actually wearing and using hearing aids and hopefully we will get them to make them trendy and stylish and, and traveling super to Terrytown cool. to come to come Travel, to the shop. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I think you, this has got to be the tough part of your job. Uh, looking at a company, looking at an idea, and trying to figure out which ones you want to work with. Um, um, you know, now you were a, a commercial loan officer for Iberia, so you obviously, you've got the skill set for this, but it's got to be tough to uh, tell somebody it's, it's not going to work. Sure. I mean, saying no is certainly uh, something we're used to doing, uh, but it's after a thoughtful evaluation of the opportunity of the novel technology being presented and the team. And it definitely starts with the people, um, you know, their level of ambition. We deal with a lot of researchers and uh, a researcher needs to have the foresight to understand that uh, when they do take on outside investment that they need to put all their energy into this business or find somebody that's qualified enough to do just that. Sometimes so, these are two different people, right? That's right. Sometimes, the, uh, very much so. Um, 
and sometimes they're not, and it really just depends. But we make sure that the company uh, understands how much money they're going to need in order to get to the next milestone. Um, they un- we help them understand the market and who may be their first customers. We assist with customer discovery, non-dilutive funding, so we'll help them raise those grants. Um, you used that a term are- that, that some people wouldn't understand, yes. but, but the idea, um, so many times the only way you can get money is to give a piece of the company to an investor. and. Sometimes you're, you know, if it works out, you're kind of sorry you did it that way. That's right, particularly in the earliest of stages. And so if a company needs to, let's say, uh, build out a laboratory space uh, that might cost half a million in specialized equipment, the Bonovation Center provides a unique advantage by providing free access to our core lab, which has all of the, the widgets uh, that you might need in order to, to start a life science company, your minus 80 Celsius freezer, centrifuge, hood, those types of things where somebody doesn't need to take out a second mortgage on their property just to build out a lab to have an opportunity to maybe be successful years down the road. So not only do we help them uh, with the grants that might help them get them going, a couple hundred grand that can lead to a couple million in phase two, um, but also we can provide specialized financing at 1% to get these folks uh, the ability to not sell 20% or 30% of their company in the early days. Dina, this is all my really my personal question is when I'm with my family, if Somebody says something and I don't, um, I might have missed a word. Have you had your hearing tested? Oh, yes. And uh, did you bring the equipment? Right. Because we have pizza, but they, uh, no, but I have, um, I make up a word. Is that something people do? Like you fill in the sentence with something you think? A common hearing loss, especially in men, is um, high frequency hearing loss. So it's not across the board. So there are certain tones that can come in just without any damage. You're hearing them just fine, but the high frequencies give us clarity and speech understanding. So you can hear, but maybe not necessarily understand everything. And then any kind of background noise has a tendency to drown out speech. So what, what, what kind of question is this? Get your hearing tested. Yeah. And then you'll know for sure. I, it's I, easy. I sense our relationship changing because I'm now being viewed as a potential customer. Everyone. <laughs> well, to be quite honest, it doesn't matter the age. You know, the reality is everyone should have their hearing checked annually. You need to know what's going on with your own health, your own hearing health, and then you can make the decision what you want to do from there. But with all of that being said, there are way too many links that have been published um, linking untreated hearing loss with uh, dementia. And it took me just a short period of time to really uh, appreciate and acknowledge that is a very strong link because exactly that. Imagine having this clouded bit of auditory information coming in and your brain is confused and filling in the blanks wrong and then that becomes the normal and then it's a slide in a very bad situation that would be a good selling point i would think it is but still you know we have to just reach out everyone and whatever is going to be each individual's motivating factor we just have to try and find it but that certainly is something that i try to reach out when I go to the senior centers or even the high you schools. You had me at dementia. <laughs> exactly. Like, hey, one, I know people always ask about this. We know the glasses cost like, I don't know, $11 at, at, the, at Walgreens and such, then it, then it goes up from there. But how, what is the range on hearing aids? It could be a few hundred to multiple thousand. So there is a large 
financial investment possibility that you can make. Um, and so I tell everyone, we will find a way if insurance does not cover it and it's going to be completely out of pocket, we just have to find an answer. And there are foundations that can help people on limited income receive the hearing help that they need. And um, there, there's always a way to get the assistance. The level of technology and what it is able to do is always going to be a determining factor with the price point as well but it always helps to get the assistance that you need, even if it's an entry-level product. Now, Chris, when talk about credibility for the organizational, something happened, I guess, recently that I thought, boy, this has got to help the organization, is uh, Patrick Norton, who's the uh, COO of Tulane, incredibly bright guy, is, is now the chairman of your board. Is that the kind of thing you need to, I mean, that's got to be uh, either viewed as an anchor or a selling point, right? Hey, shout out to Patrick Norton. He definitely and his team helped us get out of our uh, precarious situation. And he's a money guy. He's a CPA, uh, as I also come from financial background as well. So we clicked immediately and we understood what needed to get done to turn the organization around. And as I mentioned, we did that by filling our space, getting anchor tenants, servicing our startup companies, ensuring that multiple universities and startups had access to the space. And we went after federal and state dollars and we landed them within relatively short order due to the incredible track record that we have in spinning out companies, helping demystify the commercialization process, democratizing access to networks and access to capital as well. Um, and so Patrick has been a huge help, as has the folks at LSU Health Science Center, LED, and Xavier as well. See, that's what I keep thinking about. You get a kind of a little bit of momentum. You've got the name Patrick Norton behind you, and then the success enables you to go back to the federal government in the state. So, um, It's not just the name, it's the full weight of our research institutions, and they see the benefit that we provide to their PIs, their investigators, the people spinning out these novel technologies. The Bonnovation Center helps these institutions recruit the best and the brightest professors and the people spinning out these novel technologies that are going to improve health outcomes and save the world one day. So. Dina, how are hearing aids different from where they were 20 years ago, and also your ability to uh, detect where the problems are in someone's hearing? Um, the technology in the hearing aids is so far advanced than it was even just 10 years ago. There is Bluetooth built into hearing aids now. There's a, an opportunity for you to be able to track your heart health, you can connect to your smartphone, you can connect to a television. So this hearing aid device can take the place of a pair of AirPods or TV ears or anything and it's all built in to the device that you need to help you hear better in the first place. So the technology is remarkable. I had no idea about that. They, and they're somehow with all that, <laughs> these new features, they're getting smaller. That's, that's the engineering side, and I'm always fascinated by that. It, as far as the size goes, I don't want them to get too much smaller because what I want is, again, the opportunity for people to be able to show them off as a stylish accessory. So it might be a medical necessity, but if you have to have it, just like the eyeglasses, you may as well personalize it with style. Chris, we have never added something like this on, on the show, but you're growing so much that you're hiring. 
That's right. So over the last few years, the Bonovation Center has had about $10 million in committed capital from uh, our new anchor tenant leases, as well as federal government and state programming to rebuild the commercialization functionality of our center. So we're actively looking for people with experience in the cross-section of entrepreneurship and biotechnology um, who want exposure to the investment side to join our team. And we're hiring for multiple positions now. And we've had the pleasure of hosting uh, interns from all across the research institutions in South Louisiana. And we look forward to doing that again starting this fall. So if you are very interested in learning about innovation and biotechnology and how we can help companies get to the next milestone, help them raise capital and the capital that comes behind that initial investment, uh, please do reach out to us. Chris, one question that's always, uh, always been in my mind on this whole subject is, let's say a, a researcher or a professor at a university comes up with something. Um, who owns it? Does the university or does the, the researcher own it? Typically, uh, ownership of work, if you're at a major research institution, stays with that institution until there is a license involved. And I know that you've had Patrick Reed and John Christie on your show, and gentlemen like that are the gatekeepers uh, in order to help those institutions license out that technology. And many of them have the culture and the determination to license out that technology in hopes that their chunk that they keep uh, generates a profit and generates a, a windfall for them in the future, such as you know Gatorade at Florida, for example. That's right. right? Now that's so the classic story, that right? One, yep. And there's several others that have come out of Mayo, and we're hoping to do that in the biotechnology space for our research. That's what the judge said, right? It's it's got to be the universities because it's not called Steve Aid. That's right. But so thankfully, we have a good uh, ecosystem here that helps support companies and researchers looking to license out their technologies and give them a chance to succeed. And now that there's a support system that surrounds those folks with the private capital, they need to take it to the first ne first steps and the next level as well. Medical devices and bioinnovation come in all shapes and sizes from multi-million dollar laboratory-based research projects uh, to ever more sophisticated and effective hearing aids. Chris and Dina, I'm sure everybody listening to this conversation has learned something about bioinnovation or about hearing that they didn't know 30 minutes ago, and that includes myself and probably both of you in that. This has been a fascinating and enlightening conversation. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Peter. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Chris Khalil. He's the executive director of the New Orleans Bioinnovation Center and managing director of the BioFund. And Dina Zivi, the president of the Louisiana Society of Hearing Aid Specialists, board member and administrative secretary of the Louisiana Board of Hearing Aid Dealers and owner of Hearing Instrument Specialist at Hear Now. We edited this show to fit into our time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about bioinnovation and hearing aids by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. 
The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. Today's show was engineered by Blake Longlinet. I'm Peter Rusciutti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Out to Lunch is brought to you by Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. And by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. <laughs>